to episode 44 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, we have, uh, you know, I can't think of a funny thing to call you, John. I, I'm going to be, I'm the Oda Nobunaga of RPG Fan. <laughs> Are you going to take an arrow to the neck? No. Oh. Uh, we need another Onomusha. No. Must resist arrow to knee joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm John John McCarroll. I'm uh, editor in chief and general okay guy. We also have uh, the man who's going to be going to grad school shortly. Oh, that's me, uh, Stephen Myrick. Taylor's on the boards. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you again for writing another Diablo three preview, and of course that'll be going up very soon. And uh, who was right about the rune system kicking ass? Who who was right? Was was that was that Rob? Me? I'm going to give the I'm. It's regard in regards to Diablo. I'll give this one to you. You were right. It was cool. I'm always right. We need those shirts. I want Rob was right T-shirts. I, I really want. So you that can use them once every other year. Uh, wait. I was oh. right. Wait. What was that? Other, <laughs> wait. Wait. Wait, guys. What was that other thing I was right about that John had to donate to charity? Huh. Oh, that was that was a lame bet. And that's old. <laughs> Let's continue. Uh, all right. All right, young bull who's going back to Japan. That's me. I'm Zach Magic, super flat on the boards. Uh, I'm freshly employed and almost graduated of college. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have a bunch of old college grads on this podcast. It'll be funny to see if this podcast goes for like 10 years, if eventually we're just old and curmudgeonly. I'm like, remember when we liked RPGs? <laughs> I, I won't. <laughs> I created the best RPG today. What RPG? I pre-ordered uh, Mario Tennis for 3DS. Oh, uh, yeah. We did argue that that was an RPG. It's actually... Well, the old one, Mario Tennis and Mario Golf War, like, they were oh, really... Those were really good games, but... Yeah, well, I... They're making... The, the, the Mario Tennis for 3DS is done by Camelot, so I'm assuming it's an RPG. Oh. Well, let's hope... The old Mario... The Mario Golf RPGs by Camelot were so cool. I didn't know they were making one for 3DS. Well, he, Tennis. I know Camelot is making it, but I, I'm hoping it's an RPG, because why, the, why else would you have Camelot make it? Okay. Uh, so, we're here to talk about a little game that I got to see last weekend. I had the honor of traveling up to Seattle and getting to hang out with the guys at ArenaNet who are working on Guild Wars 2. So, everybody be jealous. Ooh, I'm playing jealous in like two days. I'm so jelly. Yeah, yeah Rob. I like I, I liked it before you liked it. I liked it before it was cool. No, that's true. That's true. So, we, we go up there and, of course... John, in his infinite wisdom, decides to send the one guy who hates MMOs to check out an MMO. Um, and I get there, and you know, you're hearing the spiel from the the lead designers and uh, Mike O'Brien, the founder of the company, and they're talking about how they're going to change the MMO. And you're keeping an open mind, but at the same time, you're sitting there going, like, really? Is this going to suck me in? Is this going to be the MMO that I really enjoy? And then I started playing it, and I was having a freaking ball. I was having a lot of fun with this game. This is the first MMO I'm looking forward to, and I'm going to play. Yay! Finally. I think okay. I, I think you might like I've, I, I what What's interesting is, I, I, having not played Guild Wars, I can't... Even Guild Wars 1, I haven't played it. And I, what's interesting is I've played some Terra, and I, I, I would love to do compare contrasts, but unfortunately, because I don't have the info. But I, I think that you might like Terra, too, because it controls more like a first-person shooter. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's the first thing that really strikes you is they, they wanted to make this game where you feel like you're more in control of combat. I mean, it's not an action game. You're not playing Devil May Cry, for God's sake. But you're still playing a game that feels a lot more visceral. There's a lot more, you know, quick cooldowns and quick abilities being thrown out there. It really did feel like con- controlling Dragon Age Origins, which in a lot of ways they were going for, like, a single-player MMO where, like, you're moving around the battlefield and you're doing different things and you're really involved in the combat. That That really shocked me because my limited time with WoW and with uh, the Old Republic, not that they're bad games, but their combat systems were very flat. I mean, I'm just sitting there waiting for the cooldown to come down. I press the button, I do something cool, and then we just kind of keep going. And there there doesn't seem to be any tactical element. When these higher-level designers, when they were playing this game like PvP, it, it was like a Team Fortress match where, like, they're jumping all over each other and, like, activating abilities and getting in close to – it still has all the standard MMO things, you know, like auto attack and different cooldowns. But it just seems to have the pace of battle set right at the crazy zone to keep me interested. Well, and I think now that, that – because it used to be that there was there was pretty significant technological hurdles – to it, but when the average North American computer user is now on broadband, and you know, there, yeah, you've got lots of people who still aren't, but you've gotten to the point where you can have decent pings for online games, and you have the server capabilities, and you have the processing power. And I think that they're getting more and more to the point where you can do more real-time-ish stuff. And yeah. that's one of the that's one of the interesting things that I've seen in a lot of uh, in a lot of videos and previews is that. Uh, kind of different from how you would have, say, in World of Warcraft, you know, a targeted spell that would, um, you know, that would you know, target you and then it would just automatically hit you, you know, based on a dice roll. You can actually dodge out of the way of projectiles, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and, and a lot of the area of effect attacks are, you know, like individual projectiles hitting individual things, and so you have this little bit more action-oriented, kind of movement-oriented combat. Yeah, that's what really, like, for me, like, I had played the first Guild Wars, so I already, like, you know, it, I, this actually looks fairly different, but, like, when Rob went to go play, I was like, oh, man, Rob doesn't like MMOs, and, you know, every time something's come out lately, you know, like, WoW expansions or, you know, uh, Tor, I was like, I'm not interested, they're all, you know, they, they have, the, they, they kind of follow that MMO mold, I guess, and, uh, you know, when Rob went, I was like, oh, good, he'll tell me if it sucks or not. And, like, just from all the videos and stuff that I saw, you know, you know, a year, year and a half ago, they were saying you, you can dodge attacks. And that's, like, that's crazy. Like, I watched a video where a guy, you know, did a sweeping attack, and the people who weren't in range of that sweeping attack didn't get hit. And, like, enemies, like, will hit you and can practically kill you. And it actually, like, like I, I don't know if you had any experience with this, Rob, but I, I saw one video where they were fighting, like, an ogre or something. And when it hit them, it literally could it, – it basically two-shotted them. So – their options were dodge the attack by rolling or die. Wait, yeah, was that... it was it an ogre battle? Oh. It was indeed. <laughs> I feel like we should all be like having you know a glass of pork right now and smoking cigars. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a fact of it. it. It was a little strange at first because, you know, the first big enemy in the game, apparently each one of the origin stories for the different races, you're going to run into a big enemy at the end of them. And that big enemy is designed to make you learn how to dodge and make you learn how to use the rally mechanic. That's the mechanic that you you can bring yourself back from the dead after you fall down. We'll get to that in one second because that, that was like the one issue I had with the game. But, yeah, the first time you learn that you can dodge, like when that enemy rears up to attack, 
you can dodge out of the way. It's kind of like um, this other really good game that I've been playing a lot of, the beta, apparently you might have heard of it, uh, Diablo 3. If you're clo- oh, I played that! <laughs> if you're close to an enemy in Diablo 3 and they start to attack you, even if you move away from them, you, they can still hit you. Because it's all dice rolls, it's all going on in the background. I mean, if they rear up for the attack and you were within range when they started, they will hit you. In Guild Wars 2, if you dodge out of the way of the big ultra smash attack that's meant to paste you, you will dodge out of the way of it. If there's an area of effect spell on the ground and you're taking lots and lots of damage from it, as you dodge away, you don't take any more damage. So there's really a huge mobility aspect to the game. Uh, one of the designers, I believe his name was Jonathan Sharp, he came over when I was I was kind of struggling with a melee character at first, and I was like, yeah, you know, it feels a little weird. I line up with the char- with the enemy, and when I press left or right, I'm no longer facing them, and I'm not attacking them anymore. It's kind of hard for me to play as a melee guy, and he was like, dude, watch this. And so he went in, and he made the WASD controls strafing FPS controls, and I really felt like I was dancing around the enemy, you know, getting in for attacks and moving around and preventing people from attacking me. It, I mean, it's not an action RPG, but it definitely feels more responsive than I'm used to in terms of MMOs. I had heard, like, you could, you know, you could tweak the controls like that, and I had seen, you know, with the range characters, you know, I would heard that they did have, like, the strafing controls, and that's kind of cool because that's kind of how you controlled in uh, Guild Wars 1, where, you know, you, it was primarily strafing, and then you, you would aim with the mouse kind of to see where you're going. But, I mean, that one was a little more traditional in the combat, so, you know, if you had something targeted, as long as you could see it, you know, you'd get hit. You you know, it was the whole dice roll thing. Yeah, using a two pistols as a thief, I felt like, you know, I was backing away and I was dodging out and I'm, you know, keeping them at a distance. I just felt like I was harassing the enemies and you could see that they were like, God, we can't get this guy. Like that, it feels really, really cool. And, you know, my experience with MMOs is fairly limited, admittedly, but this was the first one that I've played where I was like, oh, it doesn't feel like I'm just walking up to it and whacking it with a big stick. So it feels responsive. It feels fast. One thing that was uh, a little awkward, and I actually talked to the guys about it, they have a rally mechanic. So if you fall in combat, you have a chance to come back if you basically fill a meter, if you do so much. If you're able to take out a weak enemy, it's kind of like Borderlands. You take out an enemy and you come back. It doesn't really work quite right yet because you you get a bunch of abilities when you fall down and they you only see those abilities when you fall down so it's like well do i use this attack do i use this attack i was sitting there trying to read about each one of my rally abilities while i was on the ground fighting for my life and that didn't really work so well i mean someone can still come over and raise you up it's very much like you know uh, gears of war when you're down on the ground someone can come over and rally you back up and you can continue the fight so there's that great element but it's it was a little clunky in that respect but they told me that they were working on that Mm. okay well actually i have a question about skills but regarding the resing i noticed in a couple of pvp videos like you can go up and actually, like, you know, basically curb stomp the the enemy. Yeah, them out when awesome. they're down. <laughs> Is there a reason in the videos it looks like you kind of float up really slowly and then come down really slowly? Is like, it was that? Like, I, look at the person floats up and then just kind of hops on them. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Like, it's a giant hop slash curb stomp, and you can tell that they're doing that so that if they could come over and just make it an insta-kill, then it would get really bad. Like, in these large PvP battles, there would be no chance of you being rezzed, because it actually takes time to do it. So it's like a a channeled skill. Yeah, exactly. It's like you come over, you stand over them, and you get to, like, you know, uh, Vegeta throat stomp them. And it's it's really cool, but... (laughs) 
they're, they're, <laughs> Vegeta. <laughs> Vegeta. And, but they're doing that to make sure that you you still have a chance of being rezzed. So, and you're kind of harassing people. When you're on the ground, you can still, like, do minor damage to people, and if somebody's in a really bad way, you could take them out. Oh, so it's like Left for Dead, kind of. Yeah, it's kind of like Left 4 Dead slash Borderlands in a lot of ways. I, I, but it's it was a little clunky, but you could you could tell they were still working on it. I was saying, when you're using those skills to harass them, is it like Borderlands where if you actually kill somebody, you res them, or do you have to, like, fill a bar? No, you have to kill them. You have to kill them. Okay. Uh, so you're, like, looking around the battlefield for, like, that one weak dude and trying to take him out. And that that also makes it a little bit more fun to play single player. Like if you're if you're walking around the environment and you walk into like a bad situation where three guys take you out, you don't immediately have to go back to a waypoint and then come all the way back. You have the chance to like revive and keep going. So and out of combat, you heal so fast out of combat that it's like you're meant to be going into combat scenarios where you're going to lose some health. It's going to be a fight, and that kind of plays into the um, to the scaling aspect of the game where. If I am level 30 and I go back to a level 11 area, I scale down to level 11, but I still have all the skills that I'm unlocked, so I still have more abilities than a regular level 11 character. But they've done that to keep the game challenging and to make sure that you will go back to old areas. And so, like, if I'm ahead of Zack, say, I'm going to go back and help Zack, but it's not like taking young to to keep the dragon ball analogy going it's not like zach's going to be gohan and i'm going to be like super saiyan level two and just stomping everything for him and he's earning the xp that's another thing that i found really interesting is that they're they're kind of breaking a lot of the the genre taboos uh by by allowing you to go back to different areas and, and that level scaling sort of thing which Rob, you are oh so fond of in in other single player games. No, you're ironically. You're uh, right. You're right. That is, it, I am worried about it because it, I want to feel like I'm still getting powerful. And so, as they're in the process of tweaking, because I did tell them like there there were times where I went back to like level eleven areas as a level thirty and got my ass handed to me. That wasn't exactly fun. But at the same time, I could tell I was more powerful than I was at level 11. I had more abilities. I had more, like, as a thief, I could, you know, make everybody bleed inside of an area and really do a lot of damage to them. So I I still felt strong. I think the benefit of where that comes in is that, you know, it is an MMO, and they have this huge breadth of content uh, where, you know, you'll start in one starting area, and, you know, you could easily go through one character probably 1 to 80, on, you know, some ideal leveling path, much like you can in, in World of Warcraft, and miss a whole lot of the content. But it seems like the way that they're creating their world, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, everything seems so, like, individually handcrafted and, yes. and tweaked yeah. that it's meant to be explored, and you are meant to kind of go and experience all of these different paths. One thing that was really cool, uh, I talked with Mike O'Brien and Jeff Grubb about it over dinner, and I said one thing I really like that you guys have done is this is not a grindy MMO. I'm not playing the game. I'm not playing the game, and, like, I have to go, you know, we're going to go into the woods and kill boars. Like, I'm not going to go into the woods and kill just random enemies for experience. The experience that I was getting off of, like, random enemies was, you know, 15, 10 experience points, but for a completed quest or dynamic event, and I do want to talk about dynamic events in a second, but for a completed quest, I was getting, like, 1,100 XP. 
So the focus was on, like, go out and quest, help people in the world, complete your story quest, complete the dynamic events with your buddies, and you will get massive XP bonuses. If you just run around and kill, like, their faux chocobo-like creatures in the world, you don't really level up that fast from it. So the in- they're incentivizing you to complete quests which is a really, really good thing. I don't think anybody likes the idea of just running around and killing thousands of the same enemy over and over again to level up. You haven't played many games from Korea, have you? Uh, <laughs> no, I actually, why? Korean MMOs are, like, noted for their grindiness. Like, that's basically why they're so popular. I, I mean, there's a right and a wrong way to do the grind. You know, I mean, there's there you can make a grindy game that still feels really good. Like I, I think Persona games, there's not. I'm not saying that those games are grindy, but if you go around and level up once or twice, you feel significantly more powerful, and you're able to take on enemies a lot more easily. So I think that in that way they're incentivizing a grind. But if you're playing another game and you know you spend three hours and you gain one level and you don't really get anything out of it, well, kind of sucks. Uh, the big thing about Guild Wars 2, I wish we had started talking about this, but the big thing is that, and they've talked about it over and over again, they've talked about the dynamic events. Random events that are going to take part in the world, you know, like the centaurs are coming down to burn the village, or somebody's poisoned the water hole. Like the, these there's dynamic, a snake in my there's boots. There's a snake in my boots. These dynamic events, and you're going to run to them as individuals. You're not going to have to party with each other. You're going to run to them, and as long as you contribute to the better good, and the game actually has ways of measuring that based on how much damage you've done, so you you don't, like, have somebody who's just holding back in the event earning XP. No, you have to contribute in some way. And you're going to do this in a dynamic way. You're going to do it without having to worry about partying up and that thing. When you hear that, you sit there and you roll your eyes like, yeah, is anyone really going to do it? That first centaur attack... We ran to the village. We were like, let's get them. We're going to knock these guys out. And the way that they make you do that is when the village is under attack, you can't interact with the NPCs. You can't go up to someone and be like, hey, can I take a look at your wares? They're going to look at you like, dude, my house is burning down. Like, help me. So that they My want... pants are on fire. <laughs> my pants are well, what, what's interesting, Aside from that last part, that's actually nothing new. I mean, that was, that was the big deal with Rift, was Rift right. was all about dynamic events. And it was like, okay, let's go. You know, and, and it functioned in the same way where it was like, okay, there are world quests. This thing is going on. You can go over and start fighting those dudes, and, you know, you click the button, and all of a sudden you're part of the the, the group in the area. And it's yeah. not it's not new, but it's still, when you first hear about it, you kind of roll your eyes, but more importantly, now you want to do it because it's actually affecting the world. This world does not feel static. I was really shocked. Like, not to bag on Dragon Age 2, but this game felt a lot more... <laughs> it, it felt a lot more alive. You know, people are walking around the environment. Some are players. Some are just, you know, random chars walking around. Like, it feels like a world and you're kind of sitting there shocked by that and yeah you still have some of the mmo trappings of like the the mob of enemies that don't attack you when you're like three feet away from them but it still feels more like a living breathing world than i was used to okay that's interesting actually that's definitely something i was looking forward to in that and another thing you had mentioned like i listen i listened to the audio of your interviews and um you know, obviously read your preview because I'm crazy stoked for this. But they had mentioned a lot that they're trying to break that holy trinity of MMO yeah. nonsense, which, again, that's why I'm just I, – I don't care about MMOs anymore. I love Dark Age of Camelot. I like Lord of the Rings Online. But 
like they're all basically i mean for me and i know people argue with me on this but to me they're all just world of warcraft now with a different setting and some one new feature whereas in this one like you said and like i've seen because i've watched a ton of videos every class can heal every class can buff every class can fight it's no longer dependent on that whole oh well we have to have a tank we have to have a healer or we can't have any fun. Yeah, and uh, it, how did you feel about that? I mean, I, I definitely see it. Um, I think they still have some balancing issues to go through, but for the most part, you know, like you said, each character class has a designated heal, and you actually open up new ways to heal as you go along. So um, originally, say, the, the thief has a heal skill where he or she will disappear, and you automatically start regaining hit points. You have, like, a set time that you'll regain hit points. But later, you get, like, an evasive roll, and the evasive roll, like, you jump, like, 20 yards back, and you regain a huge amount of your health. So they open up new avenues to allow you to heal to fit your character model. What they want is they want everybody to be able to fill a different role based on what's happening in the battle. So the hope is that, you know, I'm a thief. I'm going to start out, you know, dual-wielding daggers, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to be the big DPS. I'm just going to be doing a ton of damage. Okay, the battle's not going well, and the front line needs to back off and heal. Well, now I'm going to back off. I'm going to use my heal skill, and then I'm going to pull out dual pistols because you have – you can auto-swap – uh, two sets of weapons, I'm going to pull out du- dual pistols, and now I'm not doing the same amount of damage, but maybe now I'm applying buffs and uh, conditions on the enemy to make sure that I slow them down for other people. And then maybe I have, oh, I have I have massive boons. Uh, those are the buffs for your party. I have these boons mm-hmm. that I can give to the rest of the group all of a sudden. So what they're doing is they're making it so that each character class feels very much like the Holy Trinity, depending on the situation. For the most part, it was working. You, you can tell, again, that this game is still in the process of development. Balancing is the last thing that's going to happen with it. You know, we, we've seen it in other games that are in beta right now that at first people thought were way too easy and now are nice and challenging. Uh, you see how I got Diablo 3 back in there? You see how I did that? It's not, uh, it's not, all right, all right, let's be honest. The beta is not nice and challenging. The beta is stupid easy. Uh, it's still challenging, uh, yeah. We're get, we'll talk about that later. We're getting off topic. Uh, whatever. Uh, but so what's happening is um, you completely knocked it out of my head, dude. So uh, so so like for example, the necromancer was really based around keeping himself healed. You have a minion that is constantly sucking health off of enemies and re, re- and healing you. Uh, you can also cast a spell that dispels him, and you get a massive heal bonus. So the necromancer was like fine in terms of health management. The thief was a little bit tougher. Like, if uh, you could have somebody inflict bleed on you, and all of a sudden, if you're bleeding, you only recover half hit points if you use your heal skill. That was really hurting the thief, and I actually didn't realize what was happening until a developer tapped me on the shoulder when I was looking at the screen going, why in God's name is this happening? So you can tell that they're still balancing it, but for the most part, I wasn't sitting there as the healer, you know, just shooting them with the ray of health. And I wasn't just sitting there as the DPS just trying to do maximum damage. I was trying to fill each role as warranted. So um, I was wondering about that. The you know you you're given these different options as to how you play your your character, uh, and you know so you can either heal at, at some point or you can you know buff, start buffing everyone or you can you know jump around the battlefield in these different roles. But how do they differentiate? between the different classes and their their base level of usability or like they're like since since you can occupy all these different roles 
what differentiates the classes. Okay, so I, I can speak toward the classes that I played as, and I, I think that's a great question. The the Necro was very much like a mid-range battle guy. So as the Necromancer, I was sitting there, and you have weapon skills that you develop as you use a weapon. So I was using an axe and a focus in my offhand. So I had a list of attacks that were for that weapon setup. If I had gone axe dagger, it would be something slightly different. Those skills open up relatively quickly. So right there, every character class has their own set of weapons and their own set of skills that do different things. Uh, the Necromancer is constantly refilling uh, basically their Super Saiyan mode with life force. So they're, they're constantly replenishing to that point. Uh, so they're kind of a mid-range fighter. You're summoning minions. Your minions get close around the enemy. You have abilities to, like, detonate them and have them do damage or, or suck up your, your one character so that you can get a massive health bonus. So that's where the um, the Necromancer plays. The Thief is just, like, zipping around the battlefield like, okay, I'm going to target this guy over here. You zip straight to him. You stab him in the back a couple times. Then you zip to another guy, and you're over here. So he felt very, very mobile. I felt like I was moving around the battlefield, and I was engaging with multiple characters at the same time. And then I played as the engineer, and I'm holding back with, you know, a big old rifle shooting people in the face, and then I'm dropping a turret, and that turret's doing massive damage to the enemies, and then I'm lighting them on fire. So... Each character class does feel different, but I do see what you're getting at, Zach. It does run the risk of being like every character class is just a different spell effect instead of playing differently. You know what I mean? I, I think, honestly, uh, the Old Republic did a very good job in regards to keeping class balance but allowing players to play the way that they wanted. And and part of it is I know that you probably had you know they probably set you up with like a mid range character and taught you how to play. And uh, think, we started out at level one first and then moved on to mid range okay. characters. So uh, I I think that the the differences that you're probably going to see are probably similar to the older public. Like when you have the different heal classes, yes, they're both healers, but they heal in different ways. One might have a lot of a lot of heal over time spells, might have a lot of maintenance, but not a lot of big heals, and the other might be all about. You know, oh, let's heal you up from one percent and make sure that you live. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. And and each character class felt um, different in the amount of damage that they were taking and how much damage they were using. Uh, I watched somebody who was playing as a ranger, and they were very much like circling around and shooting them with bows and arrows while their you know giant bear was rushing into combat to kind of act as a buffer between the two. So it seems like. They're trying to do both. They're trying to make it so that you're going to have multiple different styles of builds. I mean, the number of skills and traits available was mind-boggling. The first time they gave us, like, 24 skill points to unlock skills, I was overwhelmed. I was like, uh, 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 I have, like, 30 skills to choose from. What do I do? And then you have the traits, which are, like, uh, passive abilities outside of battle. So you can really fundamentally craft the character that you want, not only for your play style, but also for the situation. If you're going into a dungeon with a four-man party and no one's filling this role, it seems like every character class has the potential to fill that role. Whether or not that's going to create a problem where nobody feels different, I think that's where things like the the way that the game plays, the way that they kind of make some characters more mid-range, some characters more close-range, and the way that they handle spell effects and different AoEs, I think that's what they're going to do to make the characters feel different. Now, really quick, before I know Steven has a bunch of questions that he wants to ask. Um, <laughs> Steven had mentioned uh, multi-classing in the original Guild Wars. Am I right? Yeah, right. 
didn't see anything about that. Uh, didn't hear anything about multi-classing. It kind of feels like each class is their own. I mean, they've talked about they, – they talked briefly about, of course, we're going to have other classes and expansions and that sort of stuff. So, But there was nothing about that just as yet. As far as I'm aware, they've, they've taken that out of the game and tried to make each class a little bit more uniquely defined in each role. That you know, like that they're given, but as that that's that's the most I know about it. So. Okay, I'll let yeah, Stephen go because he's been talking in chat for a long time. He just wants to. You're a gentleman. Questions. You had mentioned uh, the skills, and I had asked you on the message board. I noticed watching videos that every class has you know their weapon skills, and I I was concerned because it looked like you know okay I'm a you know I don't know what what which class can use what, but I'm an elementalist. I can use a stick, a wand, a, and a big sword. I'm I'm concerned that. You're gonna because un- I heard you unlock those weapon skills quickly. Are you gonna unlock all of your weapon skills in like by level thirty, and then have the same five weapons, like you know, the same selection of weapon skills for the rest of the game to eighty, and then you know have those passive abilities on the right? Or so you unlock the five uh, weapon abilities rather quickly by level seven with my first necromancer. I had unlocked all of them. Then on the right side, you also have a selection of skills that you open up using skill points. So for the thief, you have like, okay, you're going to make it so that your next three attacks do poison attack damage, or they're going to have a chance to knock down an opponent opponent or immobilize them. For the necromancer, you have the ability to summon different pets. So you have a wide range of skills. You have like five weapon skills, and then I think it's four or five uh, skills on the right-hand side. Then you have the utilities, and those are the passive skills that you have. So you're right. You do open up the weapon skills very quickly, and those are kind of the meant to like always be used. Like you're you're going to be constantly flipping those and using those at different situations, and then you have like your heavy skills that you're going to use. Okay, so the weapon skills are kind of like like the the signature skills from Diablo. They're like your bread and butter, left, right, click sort of thing. Like, yeah, you know, this is what. And for example, like the the to differentiate each class, each class has like a different kind of mechanic that's going on. The thief has a mechanic where he can kind of zip between characters really fast using what's called steel. It's like a shadow step ability. And then you also have um, the thief has initiative. So every skill that the thief uses costs initiative. It doesn't have a cooldown. So you generate one initiative every second, and you have a total of ten. So you can keep using skills until you run out of initiative, and then you have like an overall cooldown the necromancer is gaining life force and he has this ability to basically go super saiyan and do like monstrous damage to enemies once he gains it and it kind of keeps him invulnerable for a period of time so they're also doing that to kind of keep each character class feeling different rob i have a question for you have you have you been watching a lot of dragon ball lately or something uh, shut up no i I have (laughs) rob i just have to know what the scouter says about arena nest power level it's over nine thousand. all right i told you guys no memes. Sorry. Wait, was that actually a rule that was like constant? <laughs> Somebody asked me a question. I love the discourse. <laughs> say, but it, that, that's good to hear, Rob. Just because, like, that was one of the best parts of the first Guild Wars was that I mean, there were like ridiculous numbers of skills, and that was kind of like I mean, for me, that was one of the best parts. It was putting your skills together, you know, almost like a Magic of the Gathering deck. And I guess those skills on the right actually function in a similar way to that. Yeah, and and you're still going to be unlocking those skills long into the game. Like, the skill cost on some of the elite skills, like, I could summon up, like, a band of thieves, and that was really cool, but that cost a lot of skill points. You gain skill points when you level up, and you can also gain them by completing certain quests on the map that are marked. 
Now, I okay, a, that works like Guild Wars One. I have a question. Guild Wars One was was in regards to it being a quote MMORPG unquote. It is kind of a dubious term because it it really you can have what eight people in an instance at yeah. once, and it was very heavily instanced. Uh, do you know if Guild Wars Two is the same way? Um, I know that there are instances, and I think the party limit might be five. I'm not exactly sure. So I don't think you're dealing with as massive of parties. As I, what I what I know for the, like the most of the game is that it acts for the most part as a uh as a kind of regular mmo and then when you do go into your hard quests and uh some of the dungeons as well are also instanced uh, yeah and, like and then it, you bring your party into that yeah john that, that's that's basically what's correct is that now the, the party limit is five and rather than guild wars one where every area that wasn't a town was instanced now it's more like you know a traditional MMO. Okay, that's interesting. It'll be it'll be intriguing to see if they they keep their model of free to play. Then, if once you purchase the game, they I mean, that's that's what they've been. They saying, seem, right? they seem adamant about it. I mean, there will be things that you can buy. I mean, it, they did talk about experience boosts, and that did make me a little nervous. But they've also mitigated that because in PvP, just the same way as they scale you down in different areas, they they scale everybody to level eighty in PvP. See, so. What's interesting is is that's really kind of broken because they did that in Star Wars: The Old Republic, and maybe maybe ArenaNet's doing it better. But in Star Wars: The Old Republic, pretty much if you weren't level fifty, you were bad in PvP. Mm-hmm. Well, well it, it, PvP was kind of a cluster. Like we, I I was very honest with them. Like the PvP intimidated the hell out of me. It was just a cacophony of just explosions and death, and I couldn't target anyone. And I was just like. I really don't want to play this. Well, let's quickly, before we go into, into PvP, uh, did you get a chance to, to look at the cash shop at all? No, I didn't get a chance to look at the shop. Uh, okay. But they, um, they've talked about, like, pirate outfits and whatnot. So yeah. they're they, – well, uh, the producer of the game, Chris, was very adamant. We don't want this to be pay to win. So they're going to try really hard to make sure that, you know, somebody who drops 100 bucks in, in the shop – isn't going to suddenly be more powerful than someone who's put a lot of time into the game. So whether or not they can achieve that, I don't know. I mean, when I hear things like experience boost, that makes me nervous a little bit. Well, in Guild Wars 1, they had the cash shop, and it sounds very similar. Like, you could buy, like, oh, boosted XP. You could buy, you know, uh, guild reputation, if I recall, stuff like that. It's basically – it's nothing that can break your character. It's just stuff that cuts out – you know, I mean, for me, cuts out gameplay. Like, oh, you get double experience now, you'll level up faster. So it's more or less you you can either pay the time and play through the game that way, or you can, you know, basically buy your way to the you know the yeah, highest and, level. Yeah, and and as far as I'm aware, there's a you can use gold to pay for the gems which are used in Kasha. So there's there's some sort of equivalency. I I think like it is in Diablo. I'm not sure how that works. Um, where, you know, even if you're not putting any more money into the game, you can still get access to uh, some of some of the items that they offer. I'd have to, that I'd have to check, but I do know uh, for anyone who's listening who's interested in, in the cash shop that they posted this huge article, uh, one of, uh, ArenaNet, that has posted this huge article about the, how they're managing the cash shop and how they are, uh, making sure that it, it doesn't kind of spiral out of control and, and still provides value to those who want to use it. So, so 
I, I the last thing I'm going to say is that as the non MMO guy, as someone who is very not into those type of games, I will be picking up Guild Wars 2, and I'm really looking forward to playing it. I, I thought it was really good fun. I think it's striking a good balance between like. You know, the loot hack games that I really like. I'm really looking forward to playing with you guys. I think we, we probably need to do a whole podcast while playing the game. <laughs> oh, yes. And just, it'll be like the time I kicked Zach's ass at StarCraft 2. That, yeah. that was funny. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's going to be really, really fun. And I think, more importantly, you can tell that ArenaNet are really – they're really trying to do some new things. And whether or not they're all going to pay off, we have to wait and see. But I'm happy to see – new things in the genre. One thing I have to say about this game, and I have to say it every time I talk about it, this game is freaking gorgeous. The oh, art, man. the art direction is simply stunning. It is a beautiful world. It really does feel handcrafted. As you walk over a hill, you don't have this sense that someone just sat down and copy-pasted everything. It really feels like everything was handcrafted. And, of course, you know, we, we know that corners are cut here and there. You know, you're going to see muddy texture work here and there. But overall, the, the world is very, very striking. Out of curiosity, did you get a chance to do any of the underwater combat or exploration? No, didn't get a chance to do any underwater combat. What I did see was that while I was playing in the char starting zone a bunch of people were going up against a very large beast in the swamp and it wasn't water-based combat but it turned into a bikini-based combat because everybody's all their equipment was breaking left and right so they were all like rushing <laughs> they were all like rushing at the enemy with bikinis and i thought that was kind of funny hats off to arena net for not putting all the females in g-strings and thongs like they're actually wearing like regular women's panties and I, I give them credit for that. Like, it's it's not disgusting to see, like, not chauvinistic. Meanwhile, in Terra. No, I'm, I'm just saying, so. <laughs> no, I was saying T- Terra actually is kind of the opposite from what I said. Yeah, Terra, Terra and Ion are both pretty bad at that, and as are, as are most Korean games. Like, I don't, I don't mean to bag on Korean games again, but they, they kind of tend to fit that stereotype. Oh, boy. So any other questions before we move on into QA from our listeners? The UI, like, doesn't the UI actually have that whole, like, hand-drawn thing going on? Yeah, it does. Like, each one of the skills looks hand-drawn. They're still working on some of the UI. Like, the map was freaking gorgeous. It is probably the best map I've seen. Like, everything was clearly labeled. They show you which stairwells to go up and down in a clear manner in the mini-map. You can zoom the mini-map out easily, zoom it in. It's got that paintbrush style approach on the world map and as you enter into new areas or talk to scouts they reveal information so the paintbrush kind of goes away it doesn't look smeared anymore anymore the world looks real it's really really cool it's a beautiful beautiful game so i'm hyped up on it and best of all if you guys you know listeners if you pre-ordered the game you get to take part in the beta weekends and arena net was very adamant like tell them what you think tell them what's wrong with the game like i know they're opening themselves up to a lot of hurt with that but you get to play the game before it's released and i think that's really cool it's honestly good that they're taking into consideration things that people don't like and i think that that it's important to listen to fan feedback even if it even if it doesn't shape your overall vision because it is important yeah i would agree so i mean they're the one fans are the ones playing the game yeah so um I asked for people to email us last week, and many of you obliged, so thank you. We got, like, 10 or 12 emails, and it it was a nice, nice. It was a nice surprise to not be, you know, 
getting just spam email. So thank you to every single person who um, emailed us. We actually had some questions that came out of that. So I'm going to start asking some of the questions. Actually, some of these weren't actually questions, but they are good questions for us to talk about. So um, I guess we're going to start, okay? Wait, wait, they're not questions, but they're good questions for us to talk about? No, they're good topics. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So um, Michael S. from I don't know where. I don't know where any of these people are from. But uh, he, he asked us, you know, kind of why, why the Demon Souls servers are shutting down. And Atlas has had those up for, for several years now, and I think it's great. But I wanted to get Rob's thoughts on, on what you think about the Demon Souls servers kind of going away. I, it, it's unfortunately a fact of life. I mean, these, these are dedicated servers. There's a reason why Demon Souls Online works significantly better than Dark Souls does to this day, because they're handling everything on their side. They're handling all the matchmaking. With that comes the need to run dedicated servers, to spend money on that. And eventually your player base is going to shrink so much that you can't support that anymore. So it's it's going to happen. I wish that there was maybe a plan to switch it to a client-side, peer-to-peer. Now, I, I, got, I got to cut you off before you even get there. Does that even work with the way that all the tendencies work in the game? Um, yeah. Well, no, I the mean, tendencies, the, that, that's, that's unique to your own world. I also have server that. tendency, too, Yeah, they, separate they, from just the events. They were doing that, well... <sighs> The only thing that I know is that the the world tendency, they could change according to events. But for the most part, if somebody came into my world, it only affected my world tendency. Well, so no. I, I, what, what it was was Atlas, and, and I would assume from in Japan, were running actually on a regular basis. It was like, okay, it's going to be white world tendency for this month, or it's going to be black world tendency, or we're going to do tendency for this weekend or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like – like that was the general tendency, and then you could you could veer away from that through the actions. But I mean, it was if I recall, it was pretty difficult. All right, we got to pause again because we're getting feedback again. Yeah, I can hear myself too. Yeah. Oh God, Skype. We need to figure out another way to do this, guys. Right. What well, well, what I think it's coming for me, even though I I'm not sure why I haven't changed any settings. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna mute myself when I'm not talking, and we'll see if that fixes it. Okay, so mute yourself right now. Uh, let's see if we got any feedback right now. I don't think I mean, so. It already seems to be. Oh, well, I was I was like, yeah. oh, it already seems to be fixed, and then John's muted. <laughs> so, all right. Um, Sounds I mean, good. I guess, yeah, if that, the whole yeah, podcast yeah, is better good. now. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, be nice, Rob. I know. I know. Uh, so I know that they were doing events. They they in uh, America they were doing events to bring the world tendency to black or white. And so I think that's a really cool thing that they could have done. I, I think a company has to show a great deal of foresight to have something that's originally starting off as dedicated servers and switching it to peer-to-peer. Yeah, that would. I feel like that would take a huge shift in the in the way the game kind of functions, not just on like a, a, a mechanics level, but on like a programming level, and and to invest that much in co-op coding and and all of that stuff for a matchmaking system a peer-to-peer matchmaking system i feel like would would not be worth it at this stage in the game yeah it's like which one yeah. it, it's which one would you rather have like 
Demon Souls is going to be shut off, which is a bummer, but you also got a really good play experience out of it when it was working. Dark Souls has been kind of rough in terms of it's much better than it was, but it's it's kind of rough to get people into your game sometimes, but it's always going to be there because it's peer to peer. One thing I think that's definitely worth noting is how awesome it was for them to basically support it as long as they did though. I mean, oh yeah. What's it been even, they, like two and a half years now? Yep. Yeah, they barely even expected it to sell, and then it went and did so well that, you know, we got Dark Souls, and, you know, for them to have supported it this long is pretty fantastic. Yeah, I don't think anybody should be upset about it. I think it's a bummer, but no one should be upset about it, so. so I mean, you still have, you know, by the time this comes out, what, when does it end? End of May? I, I, think the, I think the servers go down May 31st, so hopefully yes, this will go yeah, up before the end of the weekend, so you'll have a, a good, solid month to get it as much Dark Souls as you can, or Demon Souls as you can stomach before you just want to kill yourself, so. So, we had a couple of readers email us about our DLC discussion that we had with Tales and how I thought it was just obscenely absurd. We had, we had, we got kind of a couple of dissenting opinions. One person that thought, well, you know what, if you're a hardcore fan, you're going to buy it and you're going to support the developers, and another person who thought that it should be more affordable. Um, I know we've kind of chatted about this a little bit before, but, I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I just, I, as, I, as, sorry, as someone who wasn't on the podcast last time, that was, it's one of those topics that makes me kind of get all up in arms, and when I was listening to it, I was just like, oh, I want to I wanna say something. Um, but, yeah, I really hate the price gouging that goes on in RPG especially RPG DLC. Um, most, a lot of DLC these days is kind of baloney. But uh, the, the costumes for, for Tales games especially, and, I mean, I, I, we've talked about this at some point, uh, a, a, I think probably over a year ago, but I went on some rant about how, you know, DLC is killing RPGs. And, you know, I mean, maybe it's not quite to that extent because there's a lot of good stuff that's come out of, the New Vegas DLC, for example, or or um, I'm not sure how uh, the Amalur DLC is going, but um, these these small kind of nickel and diming sort of things for for parts of a game that would have been in you know in a in a regular you know release of an RPG ten years ago, you know you get the costumes and you get the extra bosses and I don't know it really bothers me. I think um, I'm not the type of person that will probably ever buy things like costume packs and uh, different elements of DLC. I, I really only put out my money if it's a piece of content that I'm really interested in or if it's a piece of content that John tells me I absolutely have to buy. So I, I think certain things of DLC are great. You know, Point Lookout in Fallout 3, I think that that was marvelous, really good idea. Other times, like I've said before, I don't understand why – Missing Link came out for Deus Ex. That was odd and bizarre, and it, I don't like a section of the game being taken out. I will only pay for DLC that I feel is worth it, and I don't think that a costume pack or you know special voiceovers or magic colors or anything like that, like all the Batman DLC, like being able to play with the Batman Beyond costume, I have no interesting well just a quick question for the the missing link dlc was that actually i don't recall that being having been taken out of the game don't know if it was taken we don't know if it was taken out of the game but there's one part in the game where adam gets into a coffin and then wakes up like three weeks later and it was like what the hell 
and that was where the game took place. I, I think it's very similar to in Assassin's Creed 2. You have that moment where it's like, hey, these two memory files are corrupted. Let's skip ahead. And then a couple months later, they released it. I mean, like, yeah, that's that's a bummer. But at the same time, you know, it is it was a considerable amount of new content that was released for a very reasonable price, um, which, you know, is that's the sort of DLC that I would want from a game. Uh, not not the kind of frivolous, you know, oh, hey, here's some stuff that we totally could have included. Or in the case of um, Mass Effect 3, for example, you know, good of them to have, you know, to create the, the Javik DLC. But at the same time, you have this experience where, you know, you have this character who, you know, you have, you, they have, he has his one mission. And ostensibly, that's what you could get from that DLC if you bought that after you beat the game. But the real value of that DLC is buying it before you start the game and having that character with you and, and getting the revelations about him and his history. Um, and I feel it's perhaps not scummy, but it's a little scummy. Well, I, th- I think what's <laughs> of, worse of EA not to throw that in there well, with you know like like they did with Zaid. What's worse is when you have these, you know, oh, if you buy it at GameStop, you get this. If you buy it at Walmart, you do this. That makes me so ambivalent to where I pick it up. I really don't care. I tried to. I tried to, like, oh, I want to pick it up here because I get this tin box and this special weapon. It's made me so not care that I don't even want to go through that hassle. I find it annoying. I find it obnoxious because all that stuff is just released as DLC later. And it's like, well, very clearly you had this done, and through marketing deals, you applied a little bit of DLC to every major retailer. And I don't know why, but that really rubs me the wrong way. I mean, pre-ordering is for suckers anyways. I actually – I agree with that. And just real quick before we move on, to go back to the question, I do agree that if you're very hardcore about something – like Tales fans are pretty hardcore. You know, you may pick up the DLC, but that doesn't change the fact that it shouldn't be priced to gouge those fans. I mean – Tales fans are a pretty, uh, well, I mean, they, they haven't had the best history. You know, Tales games are pretty hit or miss whether or not they come out. So for Namco to say, okay, here's a game you guys wanted. Also, here's $50 in costume content. It's like, come on, we begged you to release the game. You finally released it. It's like, you know, I don't know. It just, it just seems like it's abusing the, 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 you know, Tales games don't have a massive fan base, but there's a, a you know, a section of very dedicated fans that, it's like, why are you going to do this to them? You know, I mean, I can expect it from, you know, Call of Duty, $15 for a map, 100 billion people buy it. But, you know, a Tales game, you know, I don't know, it just seems kind of like you're abusing your already small fan base. So I, I have to argue greatly with Zach because I heard his, his pre-ordering is for Chump's comment. I, I will, I will, let me just clarify that. Is for Chump's in situation, like, if you're, if you're pre-ordering specifically for that, like, small bit of DLC, I say that comment having just pre-ordered Diablo 3 and Guild Wars 2. Um, <laughs> Me too! Me too! Yeah, so, like, there, you know, there's a certain uh, irony there. Yeah. Well, but, like, for, um, for me, I think it matters about about kind of the sales expectation of the game. And being that, that we play a lot of RPGs, RPGs, specifically Japanese RPGs, have a much lower sales goal than, you know, Mm -hmm. Call of Duty or Battlefield or whatever. So I'm never going to pre-order Call of Duty. You know, I I know that I can go into any store that sells a video game the day after Call of Duty comes out, and they've got a stack of 700 copies. 
<laughs> but yeah, I just pre-ordered fun. Pokemon Conquest, and you know what? It's Pokemon. I, I, I might not have to pre-order it. They're probably going to have copies wherever, but it's popular with children, and it might, you know, it might not be around. Mm-hmm. But even worse is, okay, you know, Gungnir's coming out. Growlancer PSP is coming out. Now, I'm actually not going to pre-order either of those titles because I'm going to buy the PSN version. But were I interested in buying a physical copy, you bet your butt that I am going to pre-order that. Yes, I mean, I guess that's that's the other kind of situation is where you have these, you know, this limited supply of physical copies, especially with Atlas and XDeed and and the smaller publishers that handle JRPG releases. Um, I've been on a huge PC gaming kick for the past like year or so, and Steam has ruined me for, for buying <laughs> games at full price. Um, and and I'm I'm kind of on the digital distribution train at this point. Well, so I, I I'm talking to Zach last night, and in the span of like I'd say 45 seconds, I go from, hey, you have Guild Wars? No, I don't have it. 45 seconds later, oh, I'm trying to put in my beta code. Wait, you bought it? Yeah, I just bought it. One thing Dude. that I find is interesting is, um, that there's there's a very clear in regards to brick and mortar games. There's a very clear way that games go is. They they go in full price, they go on sale for a short amount of time, they go back up, and then they gradually decrease in price until an outlet is out of them. And I don't think that that's the case in digital distribution. I, I, I find that very intriguing because you'll have games that go in full price to a third of its price, back to full price. They'll stay at full price for five months, go back to $5, then go back to 50 after they're off sale. And I just find it intriguing how, how that market is not more frustrating in regards to pricing. I wish that I was Valve's economist because I think that must be the most interesting kind of pricing structure that they have going on. I mean, I know I don't want to get too much into what Valve specifically does, but it's the the reason that they're able to discount those games is that they'll go, you know, they'll have their games sitting at $40 or $50, whatever it is, when it comes right out. And then, you know, you'll hit the summer sale and it'll be 50% off. And, you know, you'll get like a good number of sales from that. But then when you hit like the next six months or eight months, they, they're able to drop it to like 10 or $5 which is which is a, a a no thought purchase for people who are like oh well you know, I mean for example Space Marine um, was ten dollars the other day totally and, worth it yeah and I mean like I actually uh, oddly enough was like oh need to need to save up some money because I'm leaving the country in three months um, but the you know you have a whole bunch of people who would never have bought that for sixty dollars like when it came out or even for forty dollars or for thirty dollars where it's sitting now you know for that kind of, you know, six to eight hour single player gameplay experience, but then it drops to $10 and you have all these people who are like, well, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll buy that for $10. And then they play it and they sell like thousands of copies that they would have never sold before just because of, you know, like that, that drop in price. So even though they're like, you know, quote unquote, losing money on each sale, they're making many times over the amount of sales that they would need to compensate. There was an indie developer who I, I it was retweeted into my Twitter feed, and he was talking about how the their their game had been out for like three or four months, and it went on seventy five percent off on Steam sale, and they made more money that day than they had made up until that point. On you Steam. hear a lot of stories like that on Steam. Uh, I crazy. All I'm gonna say is Guild Wars 2 will not be on Steam. 
Is it so? That's uh, have they confirmed that it's not ever going to be on Steam or Mike Mike O'Brien, founder of ArenaNet, was very adamant. I don't want to say any more than that. Okay, he was all, very all adamant. Heard, all I've heard in the past from them is that it's not going to be available for pre-order on Steam. But I don't, I you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about. Okay, that uh, I'm going to ask Rob one more question, then I have to to take an aside for like three seconds. Okay. Um, so we we had a, a reader who who said, uh, Rob, you gave a good review to a JRPG. I only hear from the podcast how you have issues with JRPGs. What do you actually like about them, and what's your ideal JRPG other than Persona Three slash Four? That's a good Ooh. question. Um, so I am, you know, people say I'm anti JRPG. I think it's more I'm very frustrated with JRPGs today. I I it's been a long time since I played a good one, Persona Three and Persona Four. I think what I really like about JRPGs is I love in-depth storytelling with great characters. I think that's why I've shifted from, you know, Final Fantasies over to the BioWare-style games, because I think BioWare is doing a very good job of it. But, you know, I loved the characters in Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger. So right there is having... Chrono Cross yet? Well, it, you got to remember that Chrono Cross has a lot of disposable characters, but the ones, some of yeah, them are really true. good. Um, I think I'm always looking for interesting characters. I think I want a storyline that's going to keep me engaged. I mean, I'm a, I, I love certain anime. You know, I love Record of Lotus Ward, uh, Evangelion. So I like anime that keeps me intrigued. I like a good storytelling motif. But more importantly, what I look for for in a JRPG is I look for a strong strategic combat system. I look for a combat system that I know I'm going to play for like 60 to 70 hours. It's not going to bore me, and I feel like I'm getting stronger and I'm developing as a character. I think that's something the JRPG does or used to do very, very well, and it's been hard for me to find titles like that. You know, I I freaking loved uh, Dragon Quest Eight. I was remembering how much I loved Dragon Quest Eight because it was this big open, huge world to explore. I'm remembering how much I love uh, the Persona series because I love their combat systems, how much I love Final Fantasy VI because it was just so intriguing, you know, the twists and turns in the storyline. I think that's what I really enjoy about the JRPG. What I don't like about the JRPG is, is the grinding, is the, you know, inane voice acting at times when your combat system is crap and you force me to keep playing it or the linearity. I think as I've gotten older, I like to do my own things in games. And sometimes it's nice to have a linear game, but when your game is just one giant string leading you down one correct path and you just press fight all day, I just I don't enjoy that. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, I think was that a good answer? I feel like I rambled there a little no, bit. No, dude, it's a podcast. No, that was good. Ramble. <laughs> but I, I, I like uh, don't get me wrong a, a very nice gentleman on the website is sending me uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne and I'm looking forward to playing that yeah. so oh man uh, I, I, I have a lot of JRPG. Let me let me just finish up real quick. There's a lot of JRPGs on my backlog. I, I know. We're going to do the Shadow Hearts podcast. We are. I, I promise. I want to play Shadow Hearts. I want to give Digital Devil Saga another chance. I, I don't think I was in – I think just starting out, like, out of grad school, that was the wrong time to pick that game up. Like, I had just started up my career, so maybe I need to give that another shot. I still want to finish Xenoblade because that game is just too freaking long. So there's there's a lot for me to do. So I have a backlog. I will get to it. 
Okay, and a couple of people had questions for Ashton about Tails. Obviously, we can't ask them to Ashton because he's not here. He's dead. We killed him. Um, I think we're we're gonna have this death. last question because I know that we're we're coming up on time, especially since we're gonna have interviews this week. Um, last one I think we've got is actually from the same reader who asked Rob the JRPG question. Um, what do you guys think about the chances that there will have more RPGs that have couch co-op? Oh boy. Good question. I, uh, that reminds me of when we talked about, uh, Dungeon Siege 3, which, I mean, that, to me, that is the only part of that game I remember was that it was a lot of fun couch co-op and, you know, Tales games and like the old Seiken Densetsu games and like Secret of Mana. That's, I would love to see more of that kind of game. How likely it is, other than Borderlands, I can't think of any coming well, out soon. I just realized that I bought Dungeon Siege 3 on a Steam sale. <laughs> I completely forgot about it. Now, one, one thing is that this reader actually brought up Tails, and I, I, I don't like the kind of couch co-op that Tails has, simply because you have one player who's spending half of their time doing nothing. Well, I... I, for, I, I don't know, though. Like, I played, I, I've played the last, I mean, every, almost every Tales game I've played in multiplayer, and you, you're in combat so much in those games, especially if you're on a higher difficulty because the fights take longer. Uh, you know, I mean, I can see your point. Like, when you're sitting there watching somebody do the dungeon, unless you're switching off the controller, it can well, get a little I, I'm not even talking about just exploring the dungeons, but when the person is futzing with equipment or they're talking to people in towns or... There, it, it especially becomes an issue when Kimberly and I are playing a game because Kimberly is very, I want to explore everything. I want to see what's going on in every nook oh, and cranny. God. And I'm like, Jackie's the story same. guy is over there. Go talk to him. Jackie is the same way. When I watch her play Diablo 3, I want to kill myself. She That's smashes, how you're supposed to play games. She smashes every vase. That's every, how you're supposed to do it. Do you know what, that. Rob? I told her on Facebook I approved of her, and I still do. <laughs> I, I think that it's interesting, especially in – it doesn't become such an issue when you're playing a game like Dungeon Siege because, well, you know what? You're going to hit everything. That, that's what your job is in that game is to punch everything. I don't think that's necessarily so in a JRPG. Like, I don't care if I get all the magic carta cards in Tales of Grace's F. I got no, enough... actually... no, go ahead. No, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. A lot of JRPGs, it's like, oh, I explored, and all you found was, oh, I found an elixir in the cabinet. You know, in, in some cases, you know, you'll find, you know, oh, this guy has a cool story, or like, you know, with Lost Odyssey, that's not multiplayer, but, you know, you'll find, like, the, the Thousand Years of Dreams or whatever. But I can see where you're coming from, where watching somebody just, you know, oh, hello, our village is clean and happy. Welcome here. I think you have to design the whole game around multiplayer. I thought Dungeon Siege 3, as a couch co-op experience, did a really good job. But if you look, it's really becoming, you know, how many games now are really built around couch co-op? I mean, Call of Duty, yeah, you can play it four-player, but you're meant to play it online. Like, that's the way you're supposed to play it. Well, so, one game I that I found intriguing actually kind of – we say, oh, we don't want multiplayer in our RPGs, and we say that because we don't want competitive multiplayer in our RPGs. Um, Mass Effect 3, and we've talked a lot about Mass Effect 3, but we haven't spent a whole – well, we did spend some time. But I find the multiplayer in that game absolutely fascinating because, you know what, people are coming back and playing it again and again and again. And I think it's because it's, it, it's the things that shooter people have found in their games, but they've been applied with, with these fairly significant RPG elements, and it's just – fascinating it is definitely like i mean i agree with that like if you look at mass effect one like did, you never would have expected to see multiplayer in that series and now like 
it's kind of the, the both sides have moved a little towards the middle. At least that that's the vibe I got. It's a little less RPG and a little less shooter, but they've met in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Uh, as we move on to news, I want to apologize to all the listeners because uh, my fiance and her is infinite wisdom decided to put bells on the cats. So I apologize. The cats weren't in enough trouble already. I look in the Skype window and everyone's like, what is that sound? Meanwhile, Steven's just like, kitty, kitties, kitties. So uh, brief news segment, Zach, although there's Let's only, do it. There's only there's, one news story that matters. There's a lot of news. No, um, there's not. There's, there's, there's enough. Um, well, just, just uh, to – I don't know when the podcast is going to go up, hopefully before April 30th, um, just because I'm, I'm very busy over the next couple of days. But uh, Amazon right now has restocked a bunch of Atlas's PS2 titles, including – uh, well, all of them are, are Shin Megami Tensei games, I believe, but Nocturne, Persona 3 Fest, uh, Persona 4, and the Digital Devil Sagas, each are $20, um, and if they are still around, uh, you should definitely try to pick, um, I'd say, hey, all of them, yeah. you know, if, if, you well, have, one, if you have the money. One thing that I find absolutely intriguing about this is, is, is these are reprints based on, on what we know, and Persona 3 Fest, interestingly enough, is ten dollars as a download if you have a PS3. So I'm very interested to see if that one sells quite as well for twice the price for a physical copy. Yeah. I mean, hey, you have a lot of people who who might be, you know, who might. I guess now it's on the PS3 for. You know, I don't know. Well, and no, those people might not have PS3s. They may be playing their PS2 games, but mm. just it's just kind of an interesting thing, especially with uh, same deal. Persona 3 Portable, I think, got reduced to to 15 or 20 on the PSP. Mm. But it's just yeah. it's just kind of intriguing. Though I, I want I want more news about the uh, the other Shin Megami Tensei game. That just kind yeah, of... in in more in more Mega Ten news, we have uh, Devil Summoner Soul Hackers is yes. is now coming to the 3DS, and so that was originally a Sega Saturn, and uh, and then I think it was transferred to PS One. Um, yes, and it's uh, about it's you're part of a hacker group, and I don't really know a lot about it, but they're gonna have full voice acting and and battle animations added and um a new opening animation does anyone know more about this no i i'm honestly it's it's one of the few shin megami tensei games that i know almost nothing about but i love the fact that we got our invite to uh to visit atlas at e3 and they're like yeah we're going to show you persona for the ultimate and we're going to keep everything else hidden until the show so i'm hoping (laughs) i'm hoping that soul hackers is there I, that that would be. I really want to hear more about that because, like, I've seen, I've like looked at a lot of like playthroughs of that game, and it looks really cool. Like, yeah, kind of like how you know you had Nocturne and you had Digital Devil Saga. That they were you know thematically pretty different. This one looked a lot like in the Digital Devil Saga vein. I I don't think we'll see Persona Five. I think we'll see the new official yeah. Shin Megami. No, I, oh. I I don't think we're going to see any kind of new announcements at E3 from Alice. I think it's all going to be announcements of localizations of Japanese titles. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. And, that yeah, speaking speaking of localizations, uh, the Soul Hackers has not been announced for for English release yet, but I'm sure that we will yeah, well, hear hey, something. Like like uh, I said, we don't know what Atlas is showing at E3. Hope it's mm-hmm. there. Probably yeah. going to be uh, Etrian Odyssey Four, but I can still hope. All right. Oh, more news. Um, 
Risen 2 Dark Waters uh, just came out or is coming out soon on the PC. It is. Uh, it probably is by out. the time they listen to this. Yeah, by the time out. they listen to this, it's out. Um, but it's been delayed for the consoles. Uh, and so it was It was originally supposed to come out in May. Now it's coming out at the end of July in North America and uh, I think at the beginning of August in uh, Europe. So, so if, if you're looking forward to that, I think there's a review up on the site. Yes. Right Kyle, there is. Kyle was not very fond of it. That's you know, it, it, the the first one was supposedly eh. Well, for the, what what's interesting is is from what I understand with the first one is the the port for the Xbox was supposed to be pretty awful, mm. but the PC version was supposed to be good. But much like I, I think that that German developed RPGs have this, they have a very unique feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, yeah. There's a bunch that I have on my Steam account that I've been meeting. And I think Piranha Bytes has a very – they appeal to, to kind of a specific kind of RPG fan, and I think those people are going to eat the game up. Mm. It's just I think that uh, that it's not for everyone. Now, Piranha Bytes, were they the ones that did uh, Gothic 4 or the first three Gothic games? No, they, did, they, involved? they did the first three Gothics, and then okay. Gothic 4 was passed on to some new developer. Well, not Risen, a new developer. Risen was said to be kind of the, the Gothic 4 equivalent. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, more news. Um, we mentioned before uh, Demon Souls is, is ending, or at least the online portion is ending uh, next month. It is, in fact, May 31st. And they're going to have two, uh, like, uh, server-wide World Tendency events, one on May 1st and one on May 16th. Um, and if you're on the Atlas Faithful mailing list, uh, which is their, their email mailing list, um, you can kind of vote and see which way they will be switching those, uh, those tendencies. Um, and I guess in more Souls news... You also have Dark Souls coming to PC. This this happened oh, yeah. uh, just before the last podcast came out, but because of the the way in which um, my my college life is destroying my soul, it didn't. The podcast came out after the news uh, broke. But um, we have Dark Souls is going to be a Games for Windows Live title. No, uh, it's and, not that big a deal. It's, it's probably not a huge deal as long as as long as the the issues that some games have had with. Uh, instantly kind of disappearing saves uh, or, or, the fact, or, or, or the fact that Bioshock 2 wanted 37 patches I've patched Bioshock 2 37 times and it still hasn't been fully patched well I mean you know uh, we don't we don't really know much about uh, what exactly is going to happen and what sort of, of PC specific stuff that they're going to offer but they are offering uh, a new boss or two uh, and and you know since it is Games for Windows Live, you know you're you're gonna have some sort of uh, probably some similar operation to how it works, you know, on the on the Xbox. So I'd imagine if not if not cross platform play, then at least you know. Uh, hey, can I? The new chapter. The new chapter sounds very cool too. Are we gonna get this on console? I know they've said nothing yet. What do we think? I uh, I think probably DLC. I think we're going to get a Game of the Year edition. I don't know if they can DLC it. Well, I agree. Oh, I, I, dude, I dude they can DLC anything. I I threw in uh, Disgaea 4 for the first time in, like, four months. It came out last year, yeah? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I downed the patch. The patch was 1.7 gigs. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if they can do it, but I, it would not surprise me if they just kind of 
I don't want to say screw people over, but it would not surprise me if they released, like, a Game of the Year edition on it, again. It was published by? I'm going to guess Namco Bandai. Namco Bandai. Well, I, you know, hey, more Dark Souls, I am okay with that. The new areas, as Steven was saying, they look sick. You're, you're going to pay um, $10 for every quarter of an area. Oh, God, I would do it. <laughs> also, every time you die, it's going to cost 25 cents to revive. Oh, my God. Steven, don't give them that idea, please. Uh, I have I have one one last news story and then a couple of uh, of releases that have come out. Uh, just to talk about uh, we have Skyrim getting Kinect support so that you can yell Fusroda at your television. You know um, what? I don't like Kinect and I don't care for that, but I would do that just so I could scream Fusroda at my TV. Hey, I like Kinect. I I danced to to LMFAO in Dan Central the other day. I love Dan Central. John, I want pictures of this next time you do it to go what? along with that picture. Of I can record the video that comes from it when I play. Uh, you know what? Never mind. I I, no, I've got. Oh, hey, too late. Too late. I've got the I've got the PVR for the website. I can do video whatever I want. And I mean, I, John, I respect you as our editor in chief. Don't don't lose that, uh, dude. The very first time I went to E3, we put videos of me doing wacky crap on the website. Like. <laughs> You, you, you don't understand. I have no shame. I know, I know what's going to happen the first time I go to E3. You guys are just going to leave me in the desert. No, Rob. I, I just want to hang out with you at all of the appointments. <laughs> You'll just hear scoffing in the background. It'll be like Peter Griffin at an opera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, I guess, real quick, some final new releases. We have The Witcher 2 Enhanced Edition is out for PC and Xbox. Uh, it's a free update for the, for the PC people who already own it, and uh, it's there's a review up of the enhanced edition on the okay. site. I believe there's there's an interesting pricing structure. The Witcher Two was like twenty nine ninety nine on Steam. Now it's back up to forty nine ninety nine. So if you bought it when it was on, oh no, that's right. Like I, I got it that's off, weird. I got it off of Amazon for thirteen something. The the interesting thing is that uh, GOG uh, no longer good old games, but now just GOG God. or GOG as I like. Um, they offer a free copy of The Witcher Two on their on their website, regardless of where you've purchased it. So if you buy a Steam copy uh, and then, or if you buy a, a oh. retail copy or a you know a copy yeah, they, from Amazon, you can register your serial with GOG. So that's pretty nifty. Um. We also have To the Moon is coming to Steam uh, in, in the near future. Uh, everyone who's already purchased it, purchased it from uh, the, the original website is going to get a Steam key. Uh, and so, you know, no extra charge there. And I think that they're working on a Mac version right now. Um, we also have uh, Swords and Sorcery EP is now available again on Steam. Uh, there is a PC and a Mac version, and you get a free edition of the soundtrack. Hmm, it's about like eight that. bucks, and that soundtrack is fantastic. Uh, yes. Legend Jim. of... Hmm? I was going to say, it's by Jim Guthrie, so... Yeah. Um, another release, we have The Legend of Grimrock, not to be confused with The Legend of Grimlock. Um, Me, a, Grimlock a, King! Sorry. Wouldn't that... Oh, man. <laughs> um is this kind of old-school Eye of the Beholder uh, uh, Dungeon Master, I believe, is another game. That, that sort of gold box era 
of uh, RPGs that was out before I was probably born. Um, and it's been getting some pretty pretty great reviews. I don't know if we have one up on the site. But, Not yet. Uh, um, somebody is working on one. I don't know who. Okay. Well, I'm we looking have... forward Guys, we not trying to be a douche, but we got to wrap this up. I got students banging on my door for extra help. All right, apparently last, they want last, apparently last they game. want to learn physics or something. La- last game that we missed, Disgaea Three for Vita came out. Um, it's Disgaea Three for Vita. Cool. There you go. Thing all right. Exists. All right. Well, that's uh, all my news. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. Uh, thanks again for the questions. Like that was actually kind of fun and intriguing. We yeah, want more of just that. Just kind of. Yes. Yeah, we, we didn't we didn't get anywhere close to all of them. We actually had quite a few more questions, but we only have a limited amount of time, and some of the questions were really straightforward. But we want to hear more questions from you. So if you have questions for us, podcast at rpgfan.com. Uh, post them on the boards. Yep. We have a podcast and, uh, right in our general forums. I know that sometimes it takes a while for us to uh, to go through our accounts and, and approve them because we get lots and lots of spammers for whatever reason. Yeah, but and it's... It, it's not like we have a lot of games to talk about here in the next couple months. You know, it's not like there's anything, you know, that I've been waiting for for a decade. I mean, we're, we can talk about, you know, Q, we can have Q&A. Sh- oh, yeah, that's right. Something waiting for for a decade? So, wait. Oh, I think I know what that is. When did, when did Game of Thrones first come out? <laughs> I was going to say, when was the last Final <laughs> Fantasy that I gave a crap? <laughs> that would have been 2001. <laughs> so, hey, well, hey, no, that's not true. I like the first that. Game of Thrones was published in 1996, so you've been waiting almost wow. 15, more than 15 years for this. No, game I only started right. reading those last year, actually. Yeah. I've, I've I, been I, looking I, forward to Diablo 3 since I was in middle school, and I'm same. going into graduate school. <laughs> same. I have a career now, and Zach wasn't even born. <laughs> I, I was born. I just All right. You were in uh, middle school in 2000? Uh, yeah, I was in ninth grade, I want to say. I was in, uh, seventh grade. No, sixth grade in 2000. 2000, I was in eighth grade. I was in fourth grade. John, you are an old, old... You and I are, like, the same age. I don't... I was in tenth grade. Yeah, but I got held back in kindergarten. I didn't know my shapes. Oh. Dude, that triangle... (laughs) (laughs) Why why does that surprise me? This is why Rob is bad at games. That's why he can't play PlayStation. Because the... I can't have shapes, like... Hit square, and he's hitting the triangle button. He's like, it don't work! Or I know when to hit triangle. <laughs> all right, for John, for Steven, for Zach, thank you very much for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you all later. Diablo 3.